0: it was definitely not a viable life for me. Um, and I think it made me very open to the to possibility of knowing that whatever I was gonna work this hard at doing, and I think we all, like, um, I just work a lot. And <laughs> it's like, if you're gonna create all day, you need to at a certain point, and in particular, I think it was just really through that personal journey of looking back at life decisions, figuring out how you, where you wanna spend your time, who you wanna spend your time with, and, and what that legacy may be.
1: How they channel their talent consistently, and ultimately, how their active ingredient is making the world a better place. This week's episode is with Ara Katz and Dr. Aza Gadir, two powerhouse women behind Seed, an innovative consumer health company focused on the microbiome, which is the collection of trillions of microorganisms, which are mostly bacteria, that live in and on the human body. Seed's daily symbiotic pill combines the best of probiotics and prebiotics developed for systemic benefits such as digestive health, skin health, gut barrier integrity, heart health, micronutrient synthesis, and gut immune function. And it is worth noting that it is the only probiotic that I personally take. Ara Katz is the co-founder and co-CEO of Seed. And prior to starting Seed, she co-founded and served as the CMO of Spring, a mobile commerce marketplace, and was also on the founding team of social commerce company BeachMint. Ara's breastfeeding experience led her to the microbiome and inspired a personal mission to explore the importance of microbes and how they can impact the health of our bodies, our children, and our planet. Dr. Aza Gadir is the Director of Research and Development at SEED. She completed her postdoctoral training at Harvard Medical School, where her published research was focused on the immunological mechanisms that underlie the role of the gut microbiome in conferring protection to diseases early in life. On today's episode, we get into both of their career journeys and what led them to devoting their life to unearthing the microbiome and all of its intricacies. They explain what the microbiome is exactly, which a lot of us are confused about. What constitutes a probiotic and the dangers of brands marketing anything as a probiotic. How academia and scientific research gets lost in translation to the consumer. What advice they'd give to someone who is trying to find their passion. Their love of problem solving and really taking a step back to identify how you want to spend your time and who you want to spend your time with. So, with that, let's get into this week's episode with Ara Katz and Dr. Aza Gadir. So, I want to get into seed and everything about the microbiome, but before we get started, I always kick off the podcast asking what you were like as a kid. And I am here with both Ara Katz and Aza Gadir. So Aza is the director of R&D and Ara is the co-founder of Seed. We have them both for their expertise. And before we get into Seed's journey, I would just love to hear from both of you what you were like as a kid. Maybe we'll kick it off with Aza. And um, then we'll go into Ara, but just kind of getting an understanding of what you're a member of your childhood and if there's anything from what you remember as a kid that you feel like translates into what you're doing today.
2: Um, so when I was younger, I was incredibly excited all the time. And I <laughs> talked as quick as I speak now. Um, and I was very curious about the world around me. spent a lot of time daydreaming, um, but I think it took a very, very long time, like years. Um, and I'm in my thirties now. To, to rein that in and focus mm-hmm. that in and to turn that into something productive. But that's yeah. where I see a lot of similarities. I think Aura would say the same. I get excited very easily.
1: <laughs> Were you a big fan of science? Yes. So I
2: always, from a very young age, would ask a lot of questions and was very curious. Um, but again, mm-hmm. I think it took years and years to realize that it's great to have really good ideas and daydream and brainstorm, but you have to be able to like maintain focus enough to be
1: productive, right? And to I like turn that, that into something, yeah, amazing. And Ara, do you remember your childhood? And also, like, if you do, do you think that there are things about your characteristics as a child that translate into what you're doing today?
0: I love this question. As I wish, I, I wish I knew you when we were when you were a kid. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, absolutely. I so I was always a storyteller. In fact, I. Literally, just like the other day, my dad sent me. Um, um, we used to make like movies in the like tape to tape VHS, uh, a lot of times, like in the weekend mornings, um, and like make different like stories, um, and build a lot of things. So, I I always loved storytelling and I was always incredibly curious. I asked a lot of questions. I was a bit snarky about it, I think, when I was little. I, I got kicked out of Hebrew school, and definitely before I got put in another school in like about fourth grade, my
1: I would get into
0: it with teachers about like why things. Um,
1: and so maybe In I didn't... the exact same way. Like if it's not an actual reason for doing something just for the sake of doing it, like why are we doing it?
0: Yeah, I, I wouldn't say I was always great with authority <laughs> um, because I, I didn't understand the why. Like I, I think that was definitely a through line. Um, but there was, instead of always just going creative about, I think I also look back and I realized that I definitely had the hustle early. Like I was selling... Uh, like I had a little t-shirt business in fifth grade where I was like selling. And then a portion of the proceeds would go to like these rainforest collectives. And like, I remember-
1: That's like very, very in line with what you're doing today. I really just like remember. Yeah. So I
0: think I just kind of had like a bit of like the tech and like the hustle a little early. Like I was very curious about technology and, and, and why- and then that always kind of manifested in storytelling. So I, I think, yeah, I, I, absolutely, for sure. I, I ask questions a little less obnoxiously now, <laughs>
1: hopefully. No, but I mean, I think that a, a common thread that I've seen with a lot of um, founders of companies or brand builders is that curiosity and questioning authority. Like both of those things are a common denominator with a lot of people, because if you're building something, it's because something maybe exists, but you're making it better. So you've asked like, why is this not this way? You know, and- um, I feel like curiosity is just generally what drives a lot of amazing brands today. So I would love to kind of get a snapshot of both of your career trajectories um, and at what point you guys both met in the process of Seed. Um, Aza, you want to kick it off?
2: Sure. Um so I always thought I wanted to be a dentist because my mother was a dentist and her dad was a dentist. Um, and so yeah, great I, teeth. <laughs> yeah, thank you. So I am I decided as a teenager that it was the perfect field for me because it's both creative and scientific. Um, something that people I don't think appreciate dentistry for, like how creative and aesthetic it is. When I was a teenager, I applied and I was really, really excited. But then I didn't get the grades and I was devastated because it was like the day before, like a a couple of weeks before college was supposed to start and and I didn't get the grades. And so when I was asking around, everybody that I spoke to said that immunology was the hardest part about doing dentistry, Um, that it squished into like a semester. Most people aren't good at it and it ends up impeding your career trajectory. So I decided that I would do immunology, and then I would transfer over while I was in college, and just ended up falling in love with it, the discipline.
1: What um, about it?
2: I liked how specific it was, and I liked how domino effect it was. That it was, I always felt that it was. It's always been underappreciated a little bit how everything kind of emanates from it, and that like one little glitch can actually cause a lot of downstream issues. Um, but in particular, I remember um, sitting through a lecture with a professor called David Eisenberg, who was a lupus expert. And I didn't really know much about lupus other than I saw it on an episode of America's Next Top Model. (laughs) (laughs) True story, I did. And I was like... Wait, we just
0: have to like... Let me just interrupt for one second. (laughs) Aza is a PhD from
2: Harvard, and she loves reality television.
1: That's the best type
2: of person. (laughs) I will say say that I do have a postdoc from Harvard, but... Um,
1: Let me preface this with,
2: (laughs) (laughs) I do love reality TV. So I just remember sitting through his lecture and being like, this disease is fascinating. Um, And so I actually ended up doing my PhD in lupus. I I sent him, I went up to him after the lecture and I said to him, I'm just really interested in why women get this more than men. And then um, he said to me, we don't know. And then he ran after me with his card and said, email me because that's a question that's been bothering me as well. And so I emailed him and ended up doing like a six week internship with him. And then he offered me a PhD at the end of it. Like I applied, but he was like, I think you should apply for this. And
1: wow, the way I ended
2: up getting it. Yeah,
1: that's so cool. Yeah, yeah that's really, then, really yeah, cool.
2: After that, I just ended up. So I, I worked on lupus for my PhD and then I ended up working in food allergies. It was a microbiome story. And then from there, I found seed.
1: Um, So just to like tie it back to like this big lupus question and why it's more prevalent in women, what did you learn and like, is it related to the microbiome?
2: So I actually, my PhD wasn't on the microbiome. At the time, the field was way too young. Mm-hmm. Um, nobody was really focused on it, but a few observations. So when I was doing my PhD, I was doing it on like humans. So I wasn't working on animal studies. It was humans with uh, lupus. And so luckily we got to actually sit in a clinic once a week to collect blood from the lupus patients, which meant that like you got to know them week to week. And they, they knew that we were Prof. Eisenberg's research students, and they give us extra blood. But then, like listening to them, all of them had a story. All of them had an anecdote that was really valuable. So, if you ask them, "Can you remember something happening around the time of your diagnosis?" There was always an answer. My mother died, or I was moving house, or I moved countries. And so, when we would talk about it, when like our scientists, we talk about it, the one answer would always be, um, "It's hard to measure the anecdote." Because science at the time, especially then, has been so one size fits all. Mm-hmm. that it was like, it's hard to measure the anecdote. It's, I, we know that no two lupus patients look the same, but wh- what are we going to do? We can't take, we can't, this person said they ate this one meal and it changed everything. And how are we going to measure that and treat that? Um, and so it was during my postdoc, actually, I started with kind of a food allergy story and an immune system perspective of it. And then as we were doing that research, it became increasingly clear that the the microbes in the gut were playing a role in triggering the immune immune system. So it was a a two-way relationship. And then that's how I kind of got lucky and my story kind of ended up being a microbiome food allergy story. Um, But to tie it back to my PhD, it was just great because I feel like the microbiome gives us a measure of that anecdote. It's a way to be able to see how environmental impacts can like directly impact your microbes, which then have a direct impact on your immune system. And I just, I love that entire story together.
1: Ara, we're going to get to you in a second, but I just want to hone in on the fact that like you specialize in this, you could have continued to go down a research path for the rest of your career um, or gone down 8 million different roads. I'm curious to know why you thought that the most impact that you could make in that field would be to work in-house for a brand that's making probiotics.
2: Yeah, Um, so when I was finishing my postdoc and we had discovered, like our group had discovered this story, this whole immune system, microbes that are missing, um, you put the microbes back in and then you can actually induce an immune response that can protect you against food allergy early in life. Um, I started to think about where I wanted to go next and and I really did love research, but I think. The thing that can be difficult about research is that it's hard to get the information and to pull it out of the bench. Like you make these findings, you publish them, and everybody else in your field sees the value, but nobody else really understands. um, It takes so long for the world to get it. yeah. And Why it's important. Um, And so I did want to try industry for a little while. Um, And my perception was that at the time, again, the microbiome was a field that had been Kind of launched by microbiologists and people who really understood the bacteria, um, but didn't necessarily have an eye on disease. And there were only a, a handful of groups who were looking at the system the other way around. They were looking at like, what what is this disease, and how does the microbiome play a part as a poster? What are these microbes that we have in and on us? It's more, what, what do they do? into people. Um, and so when I started, um, thinking about where I wanted to go and, and I was looking around different microbiome companies, I really wanted to work for a company that kept an eye on disease and was interested in the immune aspect of it. And, and that I was more kind of long-term, like what can we do to kind of shape these microbes and the out, the outcomes that we're interested in are all immune related. They're all disease related. Um, and so I, I was ha- literally having brunch with a girlfriend and then she mentioned that Seed had launched and I shamelessly stalked Aaron. <laughs> <laughs> I left it on on purpose and I was like, I, I want that. her to know that I'm working. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah, I, I would, love yeah. that. Yeah. And there was, there was synergies when we talked and yeah.
0: And <laughs> I remember, I remember sending your pink, like your profile to like Raj, like it was just, it was such a perfect, it's one of the, the beauty, like of all the things that social media is maybe not great for, obviously things like LinkedIn are extraordinary because there's no great story other than I a ping me on LinkedIn.
1: Wow, um, yeah. so amazing. So Ara, I would love to get a quick snapshot of your career trajectory. And I feel like you had a very kind of drastic pivot. Um, mm-hmm. So I would just kind of love to get your your story and the psyche shift into focusing on the microbiome.
0: Yeah, it's you know, it's it, it's funny. I, I I everyone's always like, oh, it's such a big pivot, and I'm always, <laughs> you know, it doesn't like feel, feel that way, right? Because um, I've always been so curious about this, and um, and 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 so curious about science and biology and, and really health. And I think kind of to that que- line of questioning, my my mom uh, died when I was 17, so like I was researching clinical trials in high school. So like to me, like I had always been incredibly curious about. Um, the scientific world and and even in academia kind of had worked a little bit um, in like the translation of like some of those more future looking technologies in science. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I for me, it was always just like, and the the microbiome and specifically, and the reason, you know, I think particularly, like, I guess this is where a little bit of that rebel, uh, I, the question asker comes from is that I think most of what I have, have worked on was at least always at the either from a narrative or storytelling perspective, something that I was curious about that I also thought was at the very edge or beginning of a new framework or a new way of thinking about things. And and honestly, from from everything like uh, kind of new formats in film, um, to like the be like <laughs> truthfully like learning about direct to consumer through like zombie filmmakers <laughs> all the way like the obvious places like the media lab that I always like to say is like the best lesson in you know it's not how to make like a camera with a bigger chip but it asks you how do you take a picture without a camera and mm-hmm. so I you know and, and even like mobile you know like I, everyone was like oh you're in fashion and it's kind of funny because like I I never thought of myself that way because it was kind of like through the lens of tech um and certainly like very early e and and even with my one of my companies spring like that was like the, I mean, I launched Apple pay with Apple, you know, we were up there on the screen during the Apple keynote as like the first 14 partners to ever, like you take it for granted now, but like before that you didn't just touch your button and pay for things. Right. And, you know, I kind of never, to me, like that's partially why I I didn't never looked at it as a big pivot because I, in my advising and kind of side life had always kind of been able to pursue intellectually and academically kind of some of the things I was curious about and particularly where like design intersected with these. And and to, to as a point, like so much of science and tech, like the, the extraordinary innovations and the discoveries and the things that happen truly just don't have their impact because of how they're communicated. Like it's, it's, it's kind of incredible. Like, and, and, um and it is often industry that can then make that bridge because they speak to kind of consumers. Mm-hmm. And so, um or to humans and so and, and the public. And so um I really started to see that. And then I, I think I had always known I'd end up in health in the body. Um, I had watched the wellness industry rise at a velocity that showed me that people of course care deeply about health and about being healthier. But four point three trillion dollars, and you know, as I can say this like probably too from her immunology perspective, is like it's not like we're getting it's not like we're now starting to stop dying from non-communicable diseases. They're only getting worse, right? Right. So this correlation that like wellness grew and like now everyone's focused on preventative and holistic health. And like now we're getting healthier. Like that's not the data that I see. Now granted, the consciousness is starting to trickle that that is incredibly important. And really big conversations about that and how that particularly for uh, populations that I think have been in communities that are left out of wellness, mm-hmm. quote-unquote wellness. Uh, I think like important conversations about how some of the ideas from wellness can now be applicable, like, you know, more accessible, I think are incredibly important. And of course that always has to start somewhere. But I really still felt like everything what Peter Thiel refers to more as tinkering and nothing was zero to one. Like, it's kind of like, I, like as I said about like her thinking about like her moment of like the, the immune system mm-hmm. for system. I was, pre- I, I had had a miscarriage. I got pregnant very quickly. I was, the the internet knows you're pregnant. People give you unsolicited information. Everyone tells you, and I'm just like, and going back to like those obnoxious questions when you're little, it's like, where do you guys get this information from? Like, it's like biologically impossible the things you're telling me. Um, and not all of it, but a lot of it. And I think a lot of what we realized we were learning about our bodies was coming from marketing. Mhm. I was like, and and when you start to understand microbes, the role they play in an infant's early development, which you know, Ozzy can talk a little bit about as we as we if we want to dive into more of her research, like like to me it was that was the perspective shift. Like once you know about microbes, like you it's like seeing the matrix and you can never unsee it again. And you can never not think about all these things that are possibly impacted by it that they impact, that they could be used for. It's like, it literally, it's like, it's almost, I don't know, as if you feel this way, but it's like, it's like living in another world that you know something <laughs> that you wish everybody else knew. Yeah. And then to me, when I started to think about, it wasn't like, oh, I saw a big opportunity, white space and gut health. It was, the, I could spend the next, literally the next decade or more of my life understanding this invisible world and all the ways that you could actually make a tremendous impact. And I think like at a certain point in your career existentially, and you start to have you know, for me, I I, having a child and having made things that I'm proud of, and they were intellectually interesting, but I I wouldn't say like intellectual or existential alignment. um, You know, you just want to do something that's really meaningful. Um, And I I want to talk
1: about that a little bit more just because the, the crux really of active ingredient is identifying that point, right? Like or coming across information that you can't unsee and you can't stop thinking about it and like determining that that's what you want to spend the rest of your life doing. What, I guess my first question is, how did you first see that? Like at what point in your career, where were you in life that you first, your eyes opened to this whole other life of the microbiome? And then second, what were the steps that you took and, or or how did you decide that that was the route that you wanted to take? And then what were the steps that you took to make that your reality? Because whether or not, obviously like you, you, I'm sure loved research and work, but from an outsider's perspective, that is a massive pivot, you know? And like for someone that's listening, that sees your career trajectory, the, yeah. the interesting part to me is like, at what point did you shift? And at what point did you create an entire company that's changing the game for it?
0: Well, first of all, like you don't do it alone, right? So I mm-hmm. think people sometimes discount that you know, different humans come into your life and I think that they help codify or help, you know, so, so a lot of it, I knew about the microbiome and micro, like just from like being an avid reader and like, you know, you spend enough time Scientific American, you even over the years and, and, and like, as this point, like when she was doing her PhD, like it was early, but there were like little things here and there that were like kind of popping up that, um, that I think, and, and, and actually, interestingly enough, science the evangelism was way ahead of the evidence that's one of, one of our favorite phrases that somebody, uh, Anthony on our team says a lot which is like you know there were you know and, and this is probably where it's like as like, like heads their hits their head against the wall of like this how it happens sometimes in science which is like you know you had the functional whole like a lot like Ayurvedic disciplines talking about doshas and digestion, you know. So there, it was. It it was kind of interesting because, like, you could hear about it not with the scientific language, but with like the the importance of the gut from many other modalities. Actually, probably way before the science was there to kind of necessarily like validate some of those things. And I just say validate through through that, you know, through that Mm -hmm. lens. Um, And so I think in a lot of ways, I, I don't think it was that like I heard about it and it was like aha. As much as it was when I was pregnant and then I met my co-founder Raja and we really started thinking again about, it was really that like zero to one conversation. Like what is that first principles of all of this stuff that's happening that you could build a platform, you could build um, an extraordinary company that could not just do great science, not just like pop up a good probiotics brand and like, you know, which which again, with my background, like probably could have just licensed a bunch of stuff and done that, you know, didn't need Raja for that. Early. but I think it was what really could you do if you thought of this like big vision of like the future of like microbes. Um, and so I think in a lot of ways it was the, the, I think sometimes these things are like, if you've ever, if you've ever read Elizabeth Gilbert's um, book, big magic, it's like, you know, I think sometimes there's like these, these like things that are unconscious that are coming from different places by the way science is not immune to this either you know it, it it we get cues from all over and so i think it wasn't like one specific moment but i do think that when i had my miscarriage i resigned from my the company that i co-founded i it was definitely not like a viable life for me <laughs> um, and i think it made me very like open to the to possibility of knowing that whatever I was going to work this hard at doing. And I think we all like, um, like I just work a lot. It's <laughs> like, if you're going to create all day, like you need to at a certain point, And particularly, I think it was just really through that personal journey of miscarried pregnancy, looking back at life decisions, figuring out how you, where you want to spend your time, who you want to spend your time with and, and what that legacy may be. Um, And so I don't think it was one specific moment, but I would say meeting Raja, I don't think I would have started Seed without meeting him.
1: Okay. At what point or how long were you feeling this level of unfulfillment that you, like, I, I just, I'm curious to know how long you're feeling that for, because a lot of people listening may have been feeling this type of feeling for a very long time. And like, was there ever like a straw that broke the camel's back that you were like, okay, I need to create space to really identify what this is?
0: I... (laughs) <laughs> I, you know, I, I really think, um, I, I think that there wasn't, the answer is, I I think there's and maybe this is just what happens in your thirties too. <laughs> it's like, you do start to have like a sense of what is this all for? Like, what are, what am I doing? Right. Like the twenties is kind of finding out for a lot of people not to make generalizations, like who you are. And then the third, the rest after that, it's like, well, what are you going to do about it? And I think, um, yeah, I, I think that I wouldn't say that it was, I wouldn't call it unfulfillment because, but I would say making decisions from the wrong place, which is a little bit different, right? And I, I think there's, you know, there's ego involved in that. There's um, other cues and kind of unconscious things that I think just, it's very easy to just keep going because things naturally progress unless you change a course. And really like, I, I have to say it was my miscarriage that honestly probably was that, that moment of, um, if there was a, a pivot and so to speak, or there was just kind of that cue, I, I think that was, that was very much because I think it was just a, you know, I don't, I don't, I try not to extract a lot of <laughs> symbolic meaning out of everything. Um, because I think it's a little well, dangerous. definitely try-
1: make you take a pause for sure. But yeah. I think it was, and
0: I wasn't like, actually, I think, Miscarriages or miracles, actually. So it wasn't the sadness, but it was the, it was the, like, what's vi- what's a viable life for me? Um, and if you're gonna work this hard, like, what's it for?
1: A hundred percent. Well, thank you for sharing your story. For sure, very impactful, and I'm sure a lot of people listening can relate to having that kind of feeling of I'm putting so much in every single day, but at the end of the day on my tombstone or what people remember me for, like, was it worth it? You know? Um, okay. So I also want to kind of just backtrack a little bit and I definitely touched on this in the intro, but, um, I would love for you guys to explain what the microbiome is for someone who has never heard of it um and why it's absolutely so important in our life yeah. either of you can answer that question but Azza if you want to answer
2: yeah sure so um so the microbiome is the genetic material of all microbes so this is actually bacteria fungi and then also protozoa and viruses okay um even though when at seed, we're mainly focused on the bacterial microbiome. All of these things together actually make the bu- microbiome. Um, and so they live both inside and on you. So any surface on your body has some bacteria, which we call common soil bacteria, because they it's a bidirectional relationship for the most part. They live there peacefully. You won't notice that they're even there. Um, and so the microbiome is just the collection of the trillions of these microbes that live in and on and, on and inside us.
1: How does that affect us in our day to day? Like, why is it that we also don't get that from our diets already? Like, why is it something that we have to supplement with, I guess?
2: Yep. So, that's a, that's a good question. Um, so, I can answer what probiotics are. And then, okay. And I, so, so, probiotics are um, live microorganisms. It's, it's a very strict definition, actually. They're, they're live microorganisms um, that will confer a health benefit when they're consumed. So they, they can't just be bacteria that you've discovered, they have to be bacteria that we know when you put back in humans, actually confer some of a, of a, uh, somewhat of a benefit. So to, to give you some examples, like some of the bacteria in our gut help digest food, some regulate our immune system, some actually protect against other bacteria, via different mechanisms mm-hmm. and to prevent disease. And some will actually more directly provide vitamins that our bodies use. So things like vitamin B12, vitamin K, these, these are things that we know are produced by the microbes in your body and that there's a benefit that's conferred to the host.
1: How do you mm. test for yeah. efficacy? Like how do you test to see if that has been proven in someone that's taking um, the symbiotic, for example?
0: Um I can also Sophie I can also just mention a couple other things just to put it in perspective too as I was saying like you know there's about thirty eight trillion microbes in your body um that that's roughly about fifty percent so about one to one with like your human cells it's about not not that they're more
1: important um, so, so you're not, saying half of us is that yes, but
0: it's um it's not a stat that we should like sensationalize because you're okay. <laughs> important things and there's Uh, that as as I said, like kind of don't, don't are commensal. Like they, you know, they're not, they're not as impactful as some human cells. So they're not like one-to-one in all of their function and importance. Um, And then the other piece is just to mention, it's like about three to five pounds of your body. Um, which is like pretty, you know. All, you know, if you weighed all microbes on Earth, um, it weighs more than all matter on Earth. Which is really like, if you just think about that, just to show you how many of them there are. Um, and then obviously in your body for everybody who's like who always feels like they have a little, you know, they're like, how do I get rid of that extra three to five, well, you <laughs> that five pounds? But it's you know, it weighs as much as an like an organ, um, or as or as you know the the part, you know, in some cases the human brain, and so. It's um, it's pretty it's pretty important um, uh, ecosystem that you can imagine that almost all of our understanding of health up to now was not characterized in our biology the way we understand disease and and, and again kind of to Aziz's point about how new the field is everything we know everything we've ever tested for efficacy up until now never considered that whole ecosystem. And I'm not saying that every single thing has to, but just to say that, um, you know, it's, it's, it, that's kind of when you're asking me a little bit about the why it's like, it's, it's kind of like an entire, you know, it's the three to five pounds of your body that we didn't. it's called a lot of people call it a lot of in science, sometimes they refer to it as the lost organ.
1: Just kind of. Oh my God. All right. So how do you guys go about testing for efficacy and for a consumer that's taking it like it's something that I take every single day and maybe not something that I necessarily feel in my day to day. I feel like I'm doing something good for myself and I have definitely been, I, I mean, I've researched and read as much as I possibly can on on the microbiome and brain gut health connection and all, all the reasons why I should be taking a probiotic. But for someone listening that maybe is not doing it, like why do they need to do it? How do you guys test for efficacy and why don't we get probiotics in our diets already?
2: Sorry, that was
1: uh, a big question. I don't know why you guys want
2: to answer it. I'm going to answer the second question first. So generally what we know is that um, when your gut becomes unbalanced is when you can start to see unhealthy levels of certain bacteria go up. And I'm going to say unhealthy bacteria, because it kind of depends on the context, when whether unhealthy. But when you get like diseases, things like IBS, irritable bowel syndrome, that are like driven by general kind of gut dysbiosis, when you're, go, you're swinging from like diarrhea to constipation, when you just feel a little bit like icky, but you don't have necessarily um, a diagnosis beyond IBS. All of these things have been found to be related to the gut microbiome. And so what we know is that if you um, Supplement with certain probiotics, you can actually help the gut regulate, um, and then you can help kind of regulate some of these symptoms that you'll commonly get.
1: How long does it take if you have like a gut that is completely haywire right now? How long does it take once you start taking a probiotic daily to see results?
2: So, I think it depends on the person. I think some people, some of our customers, I think, report within a, a a couple of days, they start to feel effects, or you start to notice actually that your body is is regulating in some way. So
1: there's so um, is the effect there, like that you're going to the bathroom regularly, or going to the bathroom, like <laughs> not to be TMI, but like holy, not like diarrhea or um. Sophie, can can I jump in for a second and just yeah. kind of go
0: the things you said, just because I would really, I, I think it's like incredibly important to kind of um like myth bust a little bit, yeah. Um, and just Maybe some of like the, cause, cause truly not all probiotics are equal, right? It's, it, there are thousands of strains, of bacteria, it, like it's like saying, I take, I like books mm-hmm. without having any specificity. And, and there's very specific microbes designed to do very specific things that have been studied and have clinical research in humans and, or are characterized through other models to demonstrate what they do in the human body for a very specific outcome. Those are strains, not species. Some companies only say what species is on it. It's like buying a dog and not knowing you have a lab or poodle. Um, That's true, you know, literally. Um, So the species really matters. Um, The the saying I take probiotics and then also assuming that they impact only your microbiome is also incorrect. So microbes can interact with human cells, not just microbes, and or do things like as I was talking a little bit about. The production of um, or synthesis of specific vitamins, as an example, the the notion that you are missing bacteria and then you take a probiotic to put the good stuff back or restore Mm -hmm. is also necessarily the idea that they colonize and then if they colonize, they are quote unquote working is also not how probiotics are necessarily characterized. And most are what they call transient, which is that they good way to think about it is that they do their work on the road, (laughs) kind of through the journey through your GI system and that they don't. So the notion, like when people kind of say rebalance or restore, or you're missing this specific one and you can take this and put it back, fundamentally not how it works. The other thing that you mentioned, which is, oh, I know I should be taking it because the gut brain connect. That is absolutely like early science. There's There's a a, a fact that gets thrown around that says, like, oh, 90% of the neurotransmitters in your gut are produced in your body are produced in the gut. Most of those neurotransmitters trigger motility. Literally, it's what makes triggers (laughs) poop to move through your system. So, like, there's a lot of sensationalization. We make zero gut brain claims. Now, there's also a lot of information out there about gut brain that gets a little bit conflated because people, when they, re, there are some thoughts, and, and this is also like um, sometimes comes up with some of the correlations or leaps that people take around with autism too, which is that the imp- probiotics are so well, very well characterized, specific strains are very well characterized by this at this point to have very specific um, impact on digestion and GI health, mm-hmm. which it, you are somebody and there's about over 60% of Americans have on the spectrum of GI discomfort or or disorders, there's like a lot of people experience that. What we don't know is that those are also so impactful to quality of life and how you feel. And it's not to say that there isn't a connection, but I would just say that there's also some, we we don't know yet is that by increasing and making digestion better and improving GI health is that part of like that relief is that what also increases quality makes you "quote unquote" feel better. Right. And just, I only reason I wanted to jump in was because I didn't want us, anyone to think that we were making gut brain claims, and I didn't want to over sensationalize that. That's so and interesting
1: I, because that is literally like from what you read on Mind Body Green, what you read on literally any source of anything that's talking about the microbiome. It's talking about the connection between your gut and depression and anxiety. Talking the connection between just serotonin levels, like yeah, that's out said, there.
2: <laughs> yeah, I say will say that. Add, oh, sorry.
1: No,
0: I was just going to say it's not that there's no. So let's take microbiome research and probiotics totally separate. Yeah. The taking a microbe to do something in your body is probiotic. Mm-hmm. The correlation and the understanding of how your microbes play a role, and I'll let Azza talk now to you because she knows much more about that. That's characterizing that is totally separate. What happens in marketing and communication right now is they just get mushed together. And they are, as you can correct me if I'm wrong, like, it, my, my perception is that they are fundamentally separate.
1: Got it. Wow, my mind is blown.
2: Um, no, what I was just going to add is that there is like a growing body of literature that will support and kind of characterize this gut-brain connection. So we know that there are associations between kind of gut dysbiosis, depression, mm-hmm. autism, things like this. We know that the same mechanisms that kind of trigger that Era touched on, dopamine, GABA receptors, cortisol, oxytocin, all of these things that we know are like gut brain related. We mm-hmm. just don't necessarily know the how yet. We don't know the details of it yet. And so that was the only thing that I would add to that is that the research yep. is still early, but it, it is, it, there isn't, it's not that there isn't a connection. It's just that the research is too yep. early to make any claims.
1: So how did you guys identify what strains you wanted to have in your first product?
2: So... I was going to we went to the literature, we like, we went in and, and we did, very, this is usually how we start any of our projects, we go and we look and we see, we look at peer-reviewed science, so that means that it's science that's been written up in a paper, and has been sent out to other experts in the field that don't work with you, and then they skewer it, and then they either say, do more of these experiments to prove the point, or they'll say this research is rubbish, don't publish it, or they're like, this is great for now, let it go out into the world. Um, and so we go and we look for peer-reviewed science. So, so we go and we look at, all, we looked at all of the literature that had been published on any strain. Um, we tried to keep a focus on clinical trials. So, strains that had been shown to confer benefit compared to a placebo in like large cohorts of people. Mm -hmm. And that's how we selected most of our strains. And a couple of our strains in there, we did do um, just in vitro work. So for example, we took cell lines or we just did mouse work, for example, to to take a look to see, or other groups had done that work. But um, we selected all strains that had strong scientific validation for selection.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and we're continuing. I I would also say one of the differences of us Versus, um, you know, I think a lot of companies that maybe just license things um, to be able to make structure function claims and launch them is that, you know, science doesn't end with a launch for us. Um, it continues. And so uh, we have four clinical trials that are starting on the daily symbiotic um, that we'll be talking about soon. That's um, so exciting. The other papers that are being published um actually three three uh three now. Um, uh, got some actually can't say anything, but we got some crazy data this morning that were,
1: oh my god, I cannot wait in,
0: incredibly, incredibly uh, excited and proud of and um, you know reflective of like why it makes sense, why just why it plays makes sense why you just should play the long game and develop technology and do and think about how to solve some of the the bigger challenges and um it 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 was certainly at the sacrifice of some short-term gains but um I think based on the data we saw this morning I think like we're just incredibly excited incredibly excited about
1: when is that coming out I'm so excited I would say probably in the
2: fall sometime
1: okay wow Um, I can't wait yeah
2: I was going to say the other part of it as well is is delivery that we really tried to put effort into, which is it's not just important to pick the right strains. You have to show that they're getting to the small intestine and and surviving stomach acid. And so with every batch or with any product that we come out with, we have two sides of this. We have our scientific team that makes, makes sure that the science is valid and then continues the research past launch. But we also have members of our team that are focused on making sure that the delivery, that they're surviving um and so i think that a lot of effort was put in early as well an equal amount of effort into making sure that that was done. in
1: i'm curious to know and this is also just like This may be a very uneducated question. I'm just curious, and I can't not ask while I have you both here. But with being in the era of COVID and the fact that we're not seeing as many people, we're not exposed. I live in New York. I'm not going on the subway. I'm not touching the subway pole. I'm really just like confined to my apartment in a few places. What are your thoughts on our immune system when we start reintegrating back into society? Is there something that we should be doing proactively to make sure that we're helping our microbes? readjust, um, to the, I guess, back into normal life?
2: So I would say that the immune system and the microbiome are way more resilient than I think a lot of people give them credit for. Um, I mean, generally speaking, your immune system is very efficient because you're literally being hit by like thousands of things a day and it's Mm -hmm. able to like control it in the era of COVID. I would say that you still have microbes in your house. You're still going out. Um, this is a very short period of time on the scale of things. And I don't think we can say with certainty that it's not having an impact, but it's unlikely because we're still, you're still going out. You haven't sterilized the wall of your house. You still right. open the window. It's uh, just
1: like in comparison to my normal life. I feel absolutely- like I'm just not, it's absolutely nowhere near the same level of exposure. And like my friends and I were talking about it. None of us have, I, I'm someone that like, unfortunately i all get a cold. Like once every other month. I haven't gotten a cold this entire time. And I'm obviously super hyper aware of everything I'm doing, touching who I'm seeing, all those things. And I just, I'm just so curious to know if that's going to, what's going to happen when we are all back or going back to seeing each other.
2: So I, I, I will say that again, because of the resiliency issue and because again, we're not sterilizing the walls of our house and we're still, this is still a very short period of time. It's unlikely um, but I, I, I know that there are groups that are looking into whether there would be effects, for example, in young children. You know, the early early age window, which is an important one, um, where it is important early in life for kids to see infective organisms, and that that helps shape their immune system. Um, but that's generally for people who may have given birth during this period of time, where we're a little bit more sterile. Um, there might be long term. Yeah, I hadn't
1: event. even thought of that. That's so yeah, interesting. But
2: then, but then at the same time, um, there have been some benefits to isolation. There have been, like, for example, um, with I was reading a paper the other day that preterm births are reduced, that they're down a little bit. And the reason for that is just less activity, like pregnant women aren't moving around as much. And so it's less likely that you're exposing yourself to something that's triggering. But again, the research is so early that all right. of the science will become clearer kind of in the months after. Um, but I don't think that personally... This period of time, again, is so short, and people are still encouraged to go outside, go for walks, that there isn't a huge concern um, that long term we'll see kind of an emergence of, of a lot of disease, but time will tell.
1: So we are obviously living in very interesting times. It has become more aware to me than ever that there is racism alive and well in the wellness space. It is from every single angle. And I'm curious to know from both of your perspectives, being in the wellness space, What are things that the audience can do to address it specifically to the wellness industry? Like, what is someone something that I can do as someone that works in the PR and marketing space in wellness to address it and be an active anti racist ally? And is like, I just want to know what it is that you guys are talking about within the seed family and how the audience can also apply it to their lives.
0: I mean, Look, these, I, I mean, you know, we don't always consider ourselves because of everything we do in the, like, wellness space, but we're very, of course, aware and, and have accountability in the fact that we do operate in that space and we mm-hmm. get that, that way quite often. Um, I only actually say that to make the almost the narrative worse, which is to say that we work in health um, and science and in, in areas that if you look at, especially when you start looking at human clinical work, like not just gender gaps, but like the racial data gaps are pretty extraordinary. You can get downstream into disparities of disproportionate impact of certain conditions um, on uh, Black and BIPOC communities. You can get into uh, access to health, you know, and obviously that is isn't all the areas we touch, but, you know, like, for example, in, in, it's it's been an interesting moment because and and particularly just like leading a company as a white woman we've been very conscious from a very early moment with the brand um and and hopefully looking at our instagram and our marketing you know you you um and by the way tons of areas for improvement um always but you know we we don't it's not like a bunch of white girls and eating avocado toast talking about like immune boosting like Mm -hmm. that's just it's not who we are I don't have any interest in that becoming our narrative um I think from the very early beginning of seed I think in many of our decks and in, in a lot of the the work we did it was we were very clear that wellness isn't white um I always felt even from very I've been like a yogi for a really long time and just and again like watching the wellness industry grow I think it it has always felt incredibly both exclusive, um, not very inclusive. But I also think you know the messages um, are. I'm not. It's not as I have problems with the bio, the 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 science of the messages. But it, more than anything, I think the brands themselves, like the aesthetics and the images they put out in the world, to me, I always say like wellness is the new Photoshop. It created a whole other layer aesthetically of what being healthy or well should look like that I think left, leaves a lot of people out of that conversation. 100%. So I think if you ask me what I can tell you what we're doing, I can tell you some of the work we do, but I could also in, in your answering your question of like, what can you do? You know, when we're agreeing to do podcasts as just as an example, or be on panels, like one of our first questions is, is like, what's your, how are you being inclusive? Like we reviewed your, <laughs> we've read your guest list to be honest with you. Yeah. Um, you know because because I think like it's okay to turn things down if someone doesn't um, if someone hasn't like maybe shown up the way that you would like to show up but mm-hmm. I also think in the world of cancel culture there's also calls to be better and to be very self-aware about that stuff too um, but I think a lot of it is like the imagery and the, I mean, these things are incredibly powerful cues, more so than the things we can just kind of say or post. Like we posted a letter on LinkedIn, we, you know, we do these things and, and you know, what you post on Instagram is like, I don't, that's not, that's not allyship, that's not anti, to me, that mm-hmm. it, it's show people your value system. I think this stuff has to be a lot deeper and more integrated. Um, I think there's a lot of areas we can improve but I also um, I'm also like believe that there's things that we can expand that were already a part of our DNA that um, and 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 it's hard to talk about because like for as, as a good example um, you know our consumer business and the brand seed while being a bit of a more expensive product um, although nowhere near as much as like we see other people charge for things that are I think believe were less sophisticated um, is what has funded all of our early work for, like, leukobiologics, as an example, which you know, the things like UTI or sorry, things like BB and preterm birth, like, disproportionately affect black women. And, and many mm-hmm. so, these things are not always like the thing you can just say you did on Instagram, and yeah. everyone's like, Oh, congratulations, you're anti-rate. Like, I, I think some of these things need to feel a bit more sustainable, and resilient, and systemic. And honestly, I mean, I like, think
1: that that point of research is massive when it comes yeah. to products. It's just, just in that alone, you know.
0: Absolutely, and I think the other thing that that has come out of this period of time, which you know, I've, I think anyone who has not been forced into like a period of deep inquiry in the last months, um, I probably question also, but like, you know, it 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 has forced us to like you know, and it kind of what I said about why we got excited, why, why the microbiome and why microbes are that, t- that zero to one, like, to be honest with you, we've talked to all the DEI consultants. We talked to the HR, we talked to everybody. And like, the truth is, is like these self-identification surveys that you then just kind of post and kind of say, we need to either do better or pat yourself on the back. The data themselves, the, that even the, the tools to even collect the data is flawed mm-hmm. and the idea. Everyone is just taking the same tools and, and then thinking that the systems change without rethinking the tools and the ideas that built those systems. And like I, we're, we're working on something with the team right now like that's kind of about that. To, to me, um, is not going to do a service to, to kind of everybody. So you can do the things and you can say, like, I want this panel to be more inclusive. And I, your, the imagery and the way the brand shows up and all of those things are incredibly important. But I also think that there's like, if you're an entrepreneur and you're an innovator, and you're a pioneer, like use that mindset to say like, what are the things that you could actually create right now that could be models or ideas to experiment and test that could change some of these things. It's not about just like rewriting your HR policy. That's checking a box. You need to go do work and experiment and think and talk to experts, to the people, to your team, to external people. And like, and that and, and the answer is I don't have like, here's all the amazing, I mean, I can send you all the amazing things, I, you know, yes, we can pat ourselves on the back for a few things, but like, ultimately, like, that to me is like, that, that is more symbolic of like, how we think and how we approach things than um, just like, list, rattling off, like, we formed an DEI board, we did this, oh. th-. and yes, we have that, yes, sure, but like, is that, it, are those solving, has that solved, is that what's solving things and and creating real change? I don't I don't know. Obviously, as a probably. No, I, I
2: would I would just reiterate the accessibility point, and then the other thing is just to add to that. Think about the problems that you're trying to solve and and who they're impacting. You know, like there's been like a a real issue, I think, of like. A lot of the issues that impact the black community, for example, medically haven't received as much funding or research as other issues. And so I think that that's one thing that we, we try to think, think a lot about is, are the problems that we're addressing only impacting one community or do they have spillover into multiple? Um, and how important, which communities and how important is that and why? So, so I would say, I mean, one thing that people could do to engage in, in anti-racism is to think about the, the topics that they're addressing and what they're giving importance to. Um, and it's something that I personally feel very strongly about because I do, I will acknowledge and I do think that the scientific community historically has made mistakes. It has made mistakes. And, and I mean, we can talk about Henrietta Lacks and we can talk about all the ways that the black community has been let down by science, but that is changing. And, and I, and and it is like, I just feel so strongly that it is changing. And I do feel that there are ways that we can communicate that better to, to kind of regain the trust of some of these communities and like have them believe again that like medicine's on their side. And it's, and not, not to say that, um, I was just, sorry, I just like remembered that a friend of mine who's from the South was saying to me that um, in her family, and, and she's black and she was saying that in her family, they don't go to the doctor because they don't trust the doctor. And I've been trying to like work with her to be like, okay, like let's work on this together. Like how can we get your grandparents to go to the doctor and and kind of rebuild that trust? And that's kind of what I'm getting at is, is to show them that the issues are important. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah.
1: Well, speaking on research and generally just... Who is getting? Who is a part of these studies and who is not part of these of these studies? I had Elisa Vitti on the podcast. I don't know if you guys are familiar with her work. She's a hormonal expert, and her whole thing is how women in their reproductive years are not included in research. And like, I don't even know if I'm going to have this question be a part of the podcast because it's like I'm just generally curious from your perspective. Like, is that entirely true? Like, are women in their reproductive years not included in research on all fronts in the health, wellness, and fitness space?
2: I would even, I, I would start even at a very basic level and basic science when you're running an experiment. Um, so when you're running a mouse experiment, for example, male, like male mice are just like much easier to work with, That's right? Exactly what they don't house. have the hormone. So like you can leave them in their cages for weeks and you'll get like very clear clustering and like responses. Whereas when you have like female mice, and especially if they've been taken from different cages well it's very up and down right because of the hormone. so week two you'll get a different result to week three and and that's something that i think most women can speak to that most i mean most women right before their periods get diarrhea and then it goes away right and that's Mm -hmm. that's a thing and there's science to support it being a thing so i think it's it did i i do believe that it started with it just being easier to include men in cohorts, because like they were, the, the hormonally, there was just like much more stability with, within the reproductive years. Um, but it's not acceptable.
1: It's, it's just, it's mind yeah. blowing to me. And I'm like, just trying to talk to anyone who is in any way an expert in the space. Like yeah. when I had her on, my mind was absolutely blown. And I'm reading her book right now on the reasoning why women in the reproductive years are not included in research, especially in the health, wellness and fitness world. Like why are we being marketed to do hit like high intensity interval training? Like why are we being marketed to do all these things that in the research, there's no line in there that says that this was tested, but it was not tested on women in the reproductive years. When I'm implementing it in my lifestyle as a woman in my reproductive years, it's just crazy to me. So I just wanted to ask, just your thoughts on that. But um, generally speaking, what is your hope with Seed in the next few years? Like, what what do you guys envision for the brand? So, from a, I mean, from a company perspective. I think
0: we're going to move a lot of the things forward that, you know, I mentioned that are more on the kind of drug and therapeutic path, Mm -hmm. which we're incredibly excited about Um, on the uh, seed on the consumer health side of what we do. um, We're working on a number of things that uh, while we're not public about it yet, yet today, um, you can imagine that as we think about these different ecosystems of the body, the mouth, the skin, um, even um, nutrition, um, there are areas where we believe like the application of microbes or using microbes to create a specific, um, for example, an ingredient um, could be really, really impactful. And so um, so we're like, um, obviously, this is the work that as oversees, and um, I think we're incredibly excited to, to think about how we extend kind of the, um, the our scientific approach that we took with our first product to kind of the rest of our pipeline and um we'll start, we'll we'll also start um, working with practitioners really closely starting this fall. We've had so many doctors and practitioners want to participate and be able to um, offer seats to their clients. I think we're really excited to, about thinking about That's how amazing. we show for those communities um, of, of doctors and and practitioners. Um, and then, uh, but really, I think it's the next products and the areas of research that support those that I think we're the most excited about publications.
1: I'm sorry. Wait, I'm actually, I want to know for the person listening, because like clearly I thought that I was reading the right things, but where should we be reading information about the health and wellness space? Like where can we trust?
0: I think you can trust, um, I think there's some really like from uh, just from like a mainstream media perspective, I can see Yeah, I like can,
1: if there's like a new trend coming out and I want to have factual knowledge on it, where do I go? there's a new trend coming out, just assume that there isn't
0: evidence partially. <laughs> um, but but we're we'll just going into it and with the spirit of experimentation and being like, I'll try it. Let me try it to so see how I feel. Um, I think Vox does a really nice, I think the New York Times, um, Vox, the Atlantic- Scientific American, Smithsonian Magazine even has really interesting articles. Um, in terms of like what wellness, I don't know. I, 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 don't know. I mean, I really like Jen, Jen, the way Jennifer Gunter speaks about women's health and like vaginal. Yeah, um, I
2: was I was just gonna say, this is kind of along the vein of being able to, tr- to, to um, recognize misinformation as well, is look at, look at who's writing it, look at who's writing the article, wh- whether they're speaking firsthand Check for, for citations. I mean, some of a lot of the sources that are unnamed actually do put at the bottom of their articles, they'll put references, which is why we, we, we will say they're trustable sources, because you can trace the information. So you can go to those sources and then see if they were peer-reviewed and, and who's talking about them. In general, I think a lot of people think the scientific community is this one force that all has like a single mind and agrees on everything. And it's, it's literally not that at all. And <laughs> one example of that is science Twitter, which is me. You know, I, I, I love science Twitter because I think it's actually communicating science really well. Um, so so if, especially with COVID, where things were coming out so quickly that you, there wasn't even time for the scientific community to work out what, what was working and what wasn't. Um, on, Sci- on science Twitter, you were seeing these papers come out and then you could see other scientists in the field um com- comment on them and in real time like they would say this is an awful study and these are all of the reasons why and yeah. so i know it's hard to keep up with i know it's a lot of information but i do think that if if you read an article and you're thinking i don't know if i believe this or i'm not sure about the about the validity of this check the references at the bottom check who wrote it and if in doubt go on science twitter because I, I guarantee <laughs> <laughs> be opinions.
0: I, I would also i mean one of the things though just to say about that too, is that, and because I 100% agree, but there are a number of publications and blogs that are getting smarter that about that. So they're using citations, but because no one would go to them uh, and read what they actually say, sometimes they're, um, <laughs> I found a couple that are saying the opposite of what the point of the article was. So like, even there's a couple of books that have come out that if you go on YouTube, like some scientists have basically taken the whole book and shown that like, even the very first citation in the book from like the functional doctor that knows all, like, is actually saying the very opposite of the thing. Because the the what people sometimes do is they use the presence of a citation because they don't think anyone will actually go read it or check. And if they did go, maybe because they they know how to make sense of, they wouldn't know that it's saying something different or that under those specific conditions, maybe that's what was shown. But it doesn't mean that. That protein bar does X, right? right? And so, I think um, you know, in a, a lot of ways, I think it's not so much you know because look, that sounds like a tremendous. Anyone listening is like, "Well, that's a lot." of I'm like citations you
1: know? and this and that. But
0: I, I think it's like just a healthy, in the same way, like you know, in in all the ways I know, we're really good at being skeptics and hating on things. <laughs> and I'm not saying you should hate on things, but that curiosity, like going back to the very beginning, yeah. like just be like, look. I don't even know this, this research, even though there could be, let's say the science was good. That's it's okay to be like, this is early. I don't know if this stuff does Mm -hmm. what this person's saying. I'm going to try it. We'll see how I feel. I'll run an experiment. Like, but what happens is, is that we just go out in the world looking for information to support the things we want to believe. And that's actually like antithetical to science, right? That's like fundamentally like, that's just confirmation bias, right? And certainly that has that. I don't, you know, it's not like there's not, there's, there's levels of purity around this and even academia and and of course in industry, there's all kinds of conflicts, um, all over the place. But just to say that, that like, at least science has a function like called peer review, whereas like, you know, when you're just, and, and if, and if you see and hear people like, like if there's a nutritionist that just says, look, with my clients, I have found this, it might be even different than some of the research says, but I've just seen that. And by the way, to as I heard earlier about like when she was working with lupus patients and she talks about this all the time is that we don't really capture anecdote. And so there's a lot of things that science doesn't know, but I really listen to the tenor of how people talk. It's kind of like a car salesman, right? If someone's just telling you how great someone is without any recognition of some of its limitations, like maybe the brakes don't work, right? Like, like, you know, I think so. I think it's just like, Trying to suspend that you need something to work, or you want to believe it, and just having a a healthy uh, um, approach of questioning. And then, even if you're going to do it, like it doesn't mean that you should shout to the world and tell everybody that like it does this, it cures that, like. I actually think like if, if some, you know, and a lot of our, the partners and influencers we work with are very like, we, we make them put hashtag ad, hashtag accountable at the very beginning. We make them go through a university course. We have them, you know, like a university course. Like, I I think like, there's just, you can kind of sense when someone's like selling you something versus, you know, sharing thing. And I, I think that's just, you know, that's that before you have to send someone on a journey into PubMed and they don't know science. I think there's just like a, healthy skepticism.
2: Yeah. Keep an open mind. Um, Keep an open mind. I think that's important.
1: Um, Love that answer. So this podcast is really for the person that's interested in career journeys and also just getting more knowledge on different things, uh, different Health and wellness things, but I've really had people across the board. I've had magicians, I've had people really like all over the place. Um, and it's to get into the career journey and what they do, but it's also to help the listener who is maybe lost right now identify the things that they may want to pursue in their career, but they don't know how. They don't know what questions to ask themselves. They're just kind of in a stuck point. Um, and I would love to hear from both of you what your advice would be to someone listening right now that sees you. You guys are both clearly, in my opinion very passionate about this, very passionate about this topic. And it seems like you guys are very happy with doing this as your life's work. What advice would you give to someone who is completely stuck and doesn't know what to ask themselves?
2: So I, I, I was there for a very long time during my postdoc. I think that I, I actually can't remember why, but I just remember feeling that academia long-term wasn't an an option or that it wasn't something that I was good enough at. Um, and so I remember when I when I realized that it was because I didn't know what I wanted to do. And that's why I felt sad a lot. I started talking to people and and I can't actually stress enough how important that was and how formative that was for me. I just somebody gave me advice and they were like, talk to as many people as possible until you find somebody that you might want to be or some a career that you haven't even considered could be an option for you and so i actually i spent about a couple of years towards the end of my postdoc and i gave myself three and like a, a target of three informational interviews a week I, I'm, it was very aggressive.
1: I love a good informational and I, interview, and I
2: tried to keep them short. But and and the ones I did at the beginning, like when I look back, were like horribly embarrassing because I just had no direction. I was just like, yeah, just let's grab coffee and chat. And they were like, why am I here? Um, but but after like a while of doing it, it just started to help me understand a little bit more what I was looking for. I started to go into them with a little bit more direction, and 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 to say like hey like I'm meeting with you for this exact reason can you tell me about this thing that you did Um, and through the process it eliminated a lot of options that I thought I wanted and it created so many open doors for me because then I started to think more about industry do I want a late stage company or do I want to be more involved in research so an early stage company and and so like over time it just started to like clarify for me but that's kind of the one advice that that I would give is try to speak to as many people as possible and just learn their stories and um If anything, you you might have these options open to you that you actually never considered, and I didn't even know that a lot of jobs were jobs. If I'm completely honest, like I was like, oh my so god, that this is a job. Yeah, yeah,
1: that's great advice, Ara.
0: I think before you even answer the question, one thing piece of advice is I'd I throw the whole word career out altogether. I think like your life is your life. Um, it's kind that I've always felt, um, and, and, and I think the second thing, and, and I only say that to say that like people derive all their sense of value from sometimes the idea of what their career looks like or the perception of it, not because work is not important. Um, I think the second piece and probably the active ingredient for me, my, my, when my mom, right before my mom died, um, she gave me this little pin that said she didn't always follow the recipe. Um, and I think there's a tremendous um, freedom that comes when you, particularly in such a comparative culture with Instagram and just the perception that people are doing great things all the time. It just, we have so much areas where we can feel so deficient. I think the reminder that everybody's path is so circuitous and there really is just no one, one way um, to do something um, and that your, your way is your way. And that's how it's going to go. And I think there's like a, a lot of anxiety and, and just like not feeling good. I'm such a mom. I was going to be like yucky feeling.
1: <laughs> <laughs> By the way, I have so many goosebumps from that. That is.
0: I was like, I'm like, sometimes I go with the mom brain. Like, <laughs> so funny. Mom, that doesn't feel good. Um, But you know, yeah, I, I I think there's so much like when you I, I, having had a lot of loss in my life and been at the very very end of people's lives, like very few of the things that you're worried about right now about what your LinkedIn looks like, mm-hmm. uh, or or how many fault you know all all these things like having held the hand of people who who are taking that last breath, like it's just not what matters. You know, it's just it's just like. D- d- do true, truly. G- and, and you know what, if you end up in something you're like, isn't like the most meaningful, most impactful, mo- but like you're in, you also enjoy, enjoy your life and it's given you time to do so other things that are like incredibly meaningful. Like I think there's just like so much attachment of what these things kind of mean and look like that it creates so much suffering, I think. Um, and that I just take your own course.
1: Mm-hmm. I love that. Do you still have that pen?
0: I do. It's uh, mounted to a little piece of wood that sits in my bedroom.
1: I love that. So what would you both say? I mean, you I feel like you've touched on it throughout the whole podcast, but if someone asks you, what is your active ingredient while you wake up in the morning excited to master the world of microbes? And correct me if I'm not using the right terminology again, but what is it that you feel is your driving force right now? I love ants. I just
2: love problem solving. I don't know if that sounds like a really corny way to respond to that, but I really do. Like I, I, I do think that it's it's something that is a little bit inherited from my parents, but that um, hurdles are just another problem to find different solutions for. It's not always easy, and it's it's actually hardly ever easy. But um, to not see closed doors as closed doors, and, and and for me, it's it's just another problem that I need to solve. And it's not that it's not stressful, but. Um, that's what gets me up every morning. And I'm just, I'm lucky that I have a job where I work in a field like the microbiome that's still quite early and there are lots of problems to solve. <laughs> um, and kind of problem solving. Up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So like, um, taking some time and like, I, I just love spending some time thinking and brainstorming and doodling, um, in a notepad to try to think of, of ways to solve problems. That's what I think gets me up every day.
1: Amazing. I'd say, I would
0: say creating um, something and, and like when you, I wake up every day and I get to create things that have never existed before, like whether it's a campaign, whether it's what we're putting out in the world, but you know, and, and I don't do that alone, but um, yeah, like the process of creating um, is like, and particularly in an area where there's no, there's no highway. (laughs)
1: Like you're, you're
0: paving it as you go. Um, That, that, that's kind of extraordinary to me. Gets me up.
1: So exciting. So I always close out the podcast asking a lighter question, which is what is your literal active ingredient? Something that you have to eat, consume, do watch person. You have to be with something that is the thing that the literal thing that you have to do every day.
0: It can't be reality
2: television. It can't be, a real <laughs> it can't be the
1: real Ramona Singer.
2: That's
1: me. <laughs> <laughs> she was on my flight once, and like she's exactly what you would think: non-stop Chardonnay or whatever the wine is. But I'll um, cut that out. But I just wanted to let you know. <laughs> yeah.
2: Um, I mean, I, I'd say coffee, and also that I I try to call my parents every day, even if it's for five minutes, and even if they don't have time for me, and even if it's a missed call on their phone. I've realized it's not the amount of time that you're on the phone with them; it's just that they see the call coming in. And I think that speaking to like my mum or my dad every morning, or and, and also drinking coffee, is something that I appreciate every day. Yeah, I love that. I'd
0: say, um, like, ha- like with being just being with my son, I think I um, and, and I think particularly now, it's like in. The, I would have never had like all this time. With him and this like proximity and uh it's been a really silver lining to i think the last the last months but um to be able to see all that growth at his age because he's four you know four almost five like that's been um it, it really incredibly like that little feet in the morning <laughs> and it's just like such a great you know and and i was really never somebody that was like i was not like i knew i wanted to be mom all my whole life any of that stuff but Um, when they come online and you can start having conversations about things like the world, it's um, particularly right now, it's like pretty special.
1: Amazing. Where can everyone find seed, find both of you amazing people? (laughs) Uh,
0: Seed.com for our, for our consumer um, innovations brand seed, uh, which is where you can also buy the daily symbiotic that we talked a lot about today um, at seed on Instagram. Mm -hmm.
1: Amazing. Do you guys wanna are, are you both active on your personals or just seed?
0: Oh, you follow Azza for sure.
1: <laughs> I followed her. <laughs> I
2: did. On um, my my I, I love science Twitter. So if you're interested in, <laughs> in the science that I'm retweeting, um yeah, I'm on I'm on Twitter, so it's just as at yeah. yeah.
1: Perfect. And
0: on, on Instagram at, at AraCats.
1: Amazing. Thank you guys so much for listening. And if you can take two seconds of your time to rate and review us, it would really mean the world and help us out a ton. If you guys want more inspiration and quotes from the episode, you can check us out on Instagram at Active Ingredient. See you next week.